Welcome! My name is Elijah Stevens and I am the director of Simproof, a documentary about miracle claims, examining them to see if there's evidence for them. Today I have a good friend. Uh, we went to ministry school today, uh, Stephen Holdsworth, and I'm inviting him on to, to the show right now. Um, Stephen and I had tons of talks um, about the nature of God and um, could you kind of tell me the your story? Um, you know, you were not a Christian um, your entire or the the first part of your life. So, what was that like? Um, so, I'll give you like the rough backstory, and then any questions mm -hmm. you have specifically regarding that, I'll let you ask them. But uh, so, I grew up in a Christian family. Um, mm -hmm. They were not hardcore Christian at all. Um, you know, you'd either be the Sunday regulars, but, you know, apart from that, there was not a deep commitment, um, to Christianity beyond that. Um, so for the, most of my early childhood, didn't really think much of it. Obviously there was Christian influence there. Um, moving on into adolescence, um, I was sent to a Christian school, um, mm -hmm. where they, obviously there was a very deep influence of Christianity in and amongst the, um, curriculum and the teaching material. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd say around 13, 14 years old was when I really started to take issue with a lot of the things that they were teaching, mainly because I was deeply involved with learning about science, physics, that sort of thing, okay. and found the discrepancy between what was being taught and, you know, obviously scientific um, claims at odds. Um, and so I think that was really where my one, an awareness of what do I actually believe about this, but two, mm -hmm. like the divergence between the family that I was living with and the school that I was being sent to and my personal views on things. Um, mm -hmm. And that would only intensify over the years where it was, I'd say about 15, 16, I was pretty much atheist at that point. Mm -hmm. um, I just found a lot of the explanations and scientific rationalizations of um, things that I brought up um, were not satisfied. Um, mm -hmm. The um, explanations provided from teachers, that sort of thing, I just didn't find that to be adequately explaining the position, uh, given certainly a more rational view presented from science and from other resources mm -hmm. that I had um, been reading. And obviously, obviously it goes without saying like Christopher, Hitch Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins, massive fan of those guys. Um, and there would be a multitude of scientists and other physicists that I would have been reading their books and, you know, the articles from them and stuff. So um, deeply atheist at that point. Like I wouldn't be like new atheist. So I wasn't um, like the more, more hardcore atheist. I was more like, sure. I just didn't care. Um, and I just found Christianity to be un uninteresting and un um, unhelpful. And so I just kind mm -hmm. of in this mode of I don't believe it, but I'm also going to ignore it. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll just go in my own lane. Um, so that would continue for at least five, six years. Um, Were you forced to go to church by your parents during this time? or I was not. not. I was not. Okay. How, well, okay, so it's a bit of a yes and no. My parents didn't force me to go. But like I said, my mm -hmm. Christians were not hardcore Christians, so mm -hmm. they were not like every Sunday going to church anyway. So mm -hmm. there was, it wasn't like I was being like forced down it. Now, the school, on the other hand, was a bit of a different story because every week we would have like a, a Sunday church equivalent on a Thursday morning. Um, so you would get inundated with preaching and mm -hmm. scripture reading and worship time and um, not just during those, those Thursday morning moments, but throughout the entire uh, week. So that was definitely a much more difficult thing for me to go through because I just did not enjoy it, didn't appreciate it. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so I guess in that sense, I got it off a little bit light. My parents weren't that, that strict about it. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, this would have been, I want to say like 17 to 18 years old. I, Which, what year is that? I'm trying to remember. It's like, I can't remember the exact year. Um, mm -hmm. This would be like over like 14, 15 years ago now. Okay. Um, the... Uh, I would have been in year nine. 
um, at the time. So there's like, we got 12 years of school. So you got year okay. one all the way through to year 12. Year, year 11 and 12 are like the, we call them VCE years. Those are the years where you take the most, um, the most advanced high school education and tests to then enter into university. Mm -hmm. um, so year nine is just prior to, or the years prior to that. Um, okay. In year nine, I started to develop um, chronic fatigue. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, sure. But it's, it started off as fairly benign, and we didn't really know what was going on at the time just because I just felt more tired than normal. Um, but it was a slow decline into pretty severe um, fatigue and not being able to maintain any kind of real schedule at school. Uh, so, you know, I could go to sleep and for 10 hours and then wake up and not be rested at all and then mm -hmm. not be able to sleep properly, wake up constantly and be a wreck at school. Um, it wasn't like immediate, but it was a gradual decline into that. Mm -hmm. um, and so from that, I had to make the decision to go from schooling to homeschooling. Um, mm -hmm. There's a institution in Melbourne, Victoria here called uh, Distance Education Centre Victoria, which um, some schools use it to like in the more regional areas of Victoria to do their schooling from a long distance away. Others like me did it using homeschooling. Um, so I did that in like the latter part of year 10 all the way through year 11 and 12 um, because by mid-year 10, I just could not, I couldn't go to school or any kind of like scheduled outdoor activity without just falling over flat with fatigue. Mm -hmm. um, it was affecting grades and everything. And so um, that was uh, obviously a really hard thing to go through. Um, we saw... Uh, I can't remember how many doctors and specialists that I went to who just could not figure out what was wrong with me. Um, so I got kind of branded as um, someone who was suffering from chronic fatigue. Back then, from what I understood, it was a very um, broad term that was used to describe people that were kind of hard to nail down exactly what the problem was, but they all suffered relatively the same problem where there was just a, a deep sleep apnea um, not being rested well, not being able to stay up properly and mm -hmm. not maintain your physical um, presence throughout the day. Mental alertness was just not there at all. Um, and so doctors not being able to help was also a really, really negative thing to go through. And to, to kind of top this all off, I was quite socially anxious, um, so very shy, very withdrawn, um, and did not do well in the social arena at school. Um, part of that may have been because I was just in a very different mindset to people with like some of this stuff with Christianity, but there was also like personal things that I was going through. I just didn't do well at communicating to people. And so being withdrawn from an environment where there are people um, kind of actually brought on depression as well um, because, mm. you know, I was somebody sure. that, though I struggled with that, I wanted to see improvement because actually, you know, I wanted to engage with people. Um, so being, re being removed from that environment, homeschooling, um, basically apart from my friends was really, really challenging to go through on top of the physical health issues. Mm -hmm. Um, so it didn't take me long to develop pretty severe depression. And within about, I would say about a year, it got to the point where I was actually suicidal at one point, mm -hmm. um, because it just felt like the, my whole life was falling apart. Um, mm -hmm. And the things that I cared about, I just wasn't able to enjoy them or wasn't able to make use of them. Um, so that was, a, that was a terrible time to go through for sure. Um, so this would have been roughly um, year 11. No, we've been halfway through year 12. Um, it was at its all-time worst. I was suicidal for about three weeks there, and I was on antidepressants um, just to try and, you know, kick, get a pick-me-up just to kind of keep myself afloat. Um and my uncle, who was a pastor of a church um, at the time, very small church, we're talking maybe 30, 40 people, um, he invited me to a youth camp that that church was running. Mm -hmm. um, and I just said yes, because I didn't really have anything else to do. Um, they were aware of my physical issue. And so I was given quite a bit of liberty to just kind of, you know, take naps whenever I needed to or whatever, um, just to kind of, you know, 
but they, my, my family were quite obviously quite reaching out to try and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, keep me involved in social circles to some degree, um, because they knew that I was struggling with that quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went Did to your camp. family know about the atheism at this point, your uncle as well. Some did, some did not. I was not, I was not a massive, um, I wasn't advertising it. Sure. It was mainly whenever a conversation would come up, I would retort with a, a comment why I didn't believe that that was correct given scientific evidence, mm-hmm. but it was more like a situational thing. I wasn't mm-hmm. going around and advertising it. Um, okay. So it would have been, um, some of my extended family would have known and my immediate family would have known. Um, mm-hmm. But as long as we got on amicably and weren't fighting or anything like that, it was just, we just kind of left it alone. I didn't mm-hmm. try to bother them with my beliefs and they didn't force their beliefs on me. So mm-hmm. it was peace as much as it could have been. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so we went to this camp and there was a gentleman by the name of Dale who was asked to come along and speak to, to the youth at that point. Um, it was the, the, the second day of three days um, that we were on this youth camp and he was just sharing his story about how he'd been, uh, delivered, for, uh, from drug addiction, uh, by God during his high school years. And then he went on to talk about how he was helping, um, troubled youths and juvenile detention, that kind of thing. And, um, just the radical transformation that he went through, um, when he kind of embraced the Lord and, uh, allowed him to work in his life. And that really provoked me um, because I was at my wit's end with what was I was going through, um, definitely clutching at straws and thought to myself, well, mm-hmm. if God can change this guy's life and God's real, if those presuppositions are correct, then what's stopping God from changing mine? Mm-hmm. Um, so that thought really kind of possessed me for the entire day. Um, I didn't really engage with the youth activities at all just because I was just so caught up in this because I was... I was very desperate and I figured if this was an answer to what I needed, I was going to latch onto it um, and mm-hmm. try and see if there was any validity to it at all. Um, mm-hmm. So for the, throughout the whole day, I just kind of kept to myself, was meditating on it a lot, thinking about, you know, what would it look like to pursue that? How can God even help me? Um, at night, I didn't even bother going to sleep. One, because obviously the sleep thing was not so great, but two, Again, it's this idea that was possessing my my heart. If God is real and God can help me, I want it. Mm-hmm. So I started, uh, I took the Bible and I started reading. Um, mm-hmm. Foolishly, I started at Genesis and not at Matthew. <laughs> but um, but I got through all the way to like Matthew in like a night. I didn't sleep a wink because oh, I was just so hungry. Yeah, I mean, there were parts I did skim read. So I didn't like all... Sure. read everything like Leviticus was a bit like, eh, I don't know if I need to know yeah. this stuff sure. just yet. Um, but certainly was just hungry for an answer. If there was any kind mm-hmm. of solution to the problem that I was, uh, going through, didn't find it that night. Um, but, uh, after that youth camp, I came home and my pastor who was an, uh, my uncle who's a pastor, sorry, he, he reached out to me and cause he knew that I spent, a lot of time reading scripture over the, the weekend that we went away. She was just asking me how I was doing, just, you know, being a good uncle and stuff like that. And um, mm-hmm. I was asking a bunch of questions too, just because I had a lot of mm-hmm. thoughts based on what I was reading, mm-hmm. based on what I was going through. And it would have been the second night after we came back from the youth camp where I had just this um, really weird dream. And it happened three nights in a row. Um, okay. where I was inside a broken house and it was just run down cobwebs everywhere. It just looked like a ranch of a house. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus, I knew he was Jesus cause I knew enough about scripture to know that that was who he was, was knocking on the door mm-hmm. and asking me to come in, asking to, for me to let him come in. Mm-hmm. But I was wanting him to fix my house and I, he mm-hmm. was on the other side of the door and he was wanting me to open the door cause it was locked mm-hmm. from the inside. Um, I didn't really know what to think about it the first time it happened. The second and third time, I kind of realized, um, you know, I wanted God to come and fix my problem, but I didn't want to have a relationship with him. I just wanted him to be okay. sure. my my panacea to my problem, right? But I, I kind of realized in that moment that, yeah, you know what? I, I got to admit, 
if I'm just getting God to just help me in this moment, just to get out of sickness and then kind of leave him behind after that. He's wanting more than that. He's wanting a relationship. At least that's what I read in scripture. So I was like, all right, God, if you can heal me, I'm yours. Mm -hmm. So I basically prayed that prayer after the third time. Um, I had that dream. It was late at night. Went to bed that night and woke up the next day as if I'd never had this condition at all. And I was shocked because that was the first time in like two and a half years that I was able to like sleep properly and then wake up at a regular hour and feel refreshed. And so I was mm-hmm. quite shocked and taken back. Um, I was in a bit of state of a disbelief, if I were being perfectly honest, because a part of me was like, what's, what's the chances of that? Maybe it was just psychosomatic. So sure. I kind of left it. And then second night, slept great. Third night, slept great. And after about a week, it kind of occurred to me, it's like, yeah, this is far too consistent to just be coincidence. And... Mm-hmm. In my head, I'm thinking to myself, at what point am I just, is my atheism being irrational? Because, you know, we could talk about the odds of me praying a prayer to a a deity and then having this miraculous physical healing that I needed and needed for two and a half years happening right at the same time and the unlikelihood of that. And compounding with that, the fact that it happened seven days in a row, basically. Mm -hmm. At that point, I was like, well, I'm probably just being irrational by insisting that this was just pure coincidence and i just had to accept the fact that god's probably real and i got healed Mm -hmm. so after after the that about week-long stint of like just feeling great after having great rest and being basically Mm -hmm. healed of everything the doctor still couldn't figure out what was wrong with me um Mm -hmm. and basically said that you you seem fine now and i'm like yeah i feel fine and Mm -hmm. i think after that was like all right god you've got my attention my heart's yours Mm-hmm. It opened up a lot of questions because I had tons because mm-hmm. obviously in my history, but I was at least open to dialoguing with the Lord about it, ask questions and, you know, see what, what this was all about. Um, so that's when I became a Christian um, and a very hungry well, one Let me that, go so. back. There, there's some questions that are popping into my mind. What is it like reading the Old Testament through an <laughs> atheistic lens? Because that uh, has to be just... What are you experiencing as you're doing that? Uh, well, I mean, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this retrospectively. Sure. Um, so there'll be a little bit of like, this is how I, I viewed it based on what was being told for me from Christian sources sure. versus how I view it now. And so I'll just talk okay. about the stuff that in retrospect. Um, certainly the view of God being barbaric and the way that he treated people was a big one. Mm-hmm. Um that one really grinded my gears because it just seemed like, you know, with Christians promoting God being love and then God doing all this horrendous sure. stuff in the old covenant, I'm almost like, are you kidding me? And then the rationalizations that are created to justify that, it's like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, and it just felt to me like we weren't able to be honest about the fact that this was quite brutal. And sure. we would talk about, it's just like God's ways are higher than our ways. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. But is that just not a justification for God doing whatever he wants? Mm-hmm. And then just saying, well, my way is higher than and, and how do we know that this is God's way? Like how do we know that that scripture starts being co-opted to cover up human um, brutality? Because that's also mm-hmm. another problem that I had was like, you know, how much of this was God doing this and how much of it was man doing it and then putting words in God's mouth saying, God mm-hmm. told us to beat you up or you know, massive yeah. this nation or whatever. Sure. So there's, there's all these dialogues happening and certainly I was um, disgusted by it. Mm-hmm. And then you've got like the scientific elements of like, say, Genesis, the Ark, sure. that kind of stuff. It just doesn't line up with what we know scientifically. It doesn't line up with what we know um, historically. Yeah, it was a, it was a mess. Um, so my view of it was uh, not good. Let's put it that mm-hmm. way. And then you have this healing experience from barbaric God, I guess, who came as Jesus. Like, what is your mind doing with all of this? Well, that was a definite journey for me because when I came to Christianity, I just had to accept the fact that I had to learn stuff. Like I was Mm -hmm. just trying to be as humble as I could. I mean, you know, at least when, you know, back when I was an atheist, 
I just loved it consuming science and, and physics mm-hmm. articles. And I was like, oh, and there's this kind of realization that you have to be willing to be wrong about stuff in order to learn what's correct. Um, Cause otherwise we, right. we kind of get our pet theories and hypotheses right. and then get locked into that thinking. And it might be wrong. We might need to abandon that in favor of something else. And sure. science is really great at that. Um, so I kind of took that approach with my faith as well. It's like, well, if God's real and God's true, then I just have to be open-handed with my theology. This is how I understood these things based on what I've been told, based on influences from the church that I went to, um, at the school that I went to, family. Let's just leave it open and start again and just go, God, just, just show me what you're like. And the first thing that really jumped out at me was, first of all, the, the nature of God manifests through Jesus which is in okay. stark contrast to the old covenant. Um, and so that was the first thing that I had to reconcile. How do you reconcile these two very different depictions of God? The, the, the second thing that really captivated me was um, up until that point, the way that Christianity had been portrayed to me was that you just have to believe the scriptures. You just have to believe. Mm-hmm. You just got to have faith. But then I read in like uh, John 10, 37, you know, Jesus is responding to um, Jewish um, detractors saying, you know, if you do not, be- if I do not do the works of my father, don't believe me. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, but if I do the works of my father and you still don't believe me, believe the works. And it was like, that's a very scientific um, thing for him to say. He's like, I give you permission to not believe me unless I'm able to prove it. Mm-hmm. And so I was not introduced to a Christianity that was willing to put, um, money where its mouth was, so to speak, like actually demonstrate mm-hmm. what we now know to be kingdom and, you know, the healing of the sick and raising mm-hmm. the dead and stuff like that. I was just told that you just got to believe the doctrines and um, the scriptural inerrancy of the Bible and mm-hmm. all these different things. And so when I encountered that, it was just like, it was almost like God was speaking to my skepticism and saying like, actually, I'm glad you were skeptical for that reason, because mm-hmm. I actually do have a higher standard of evangelism that we need to approach. Mm-hmm. And so that got me, again, started me thinking about like, or what does it actually look like to have a true representation of the faith and Christian walk? Um, how does it compare to what we've done historically? Um, mm-hmm. And realizing that God does not expect people to just believe just for the sake of believing. Mm-hmm. Like there is... Like, I didn't come to the faith because people told me about it. I came because I got healed. Mm-hmm. I was completely anti- um, antithetical to the belief system of Christianity up until that point. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was, those were the two major things. So, you have this experience. Do you go and tell your family about it immediately? Um, so, talk to me about that. It It would have been my uncle first and then my parents. And then from there... It, it was pretty quickly um, known throughout the family that I'd come over to Christ. Um, mm-hmm. So obviously I shared it with my pastor first because he was the one that I was really talking with um, the most, my uncle, um, just parsing questions through him and mm-hmm. trying to process what was going through my heart and mm-hmm. um, as best as I could, assimilate as much information as I could, just, just digesting as much of scripture or sermons or whatever I could get my hands on just to try and make sense of everything. So he was a very big help in that early stages and was the first person that I confided in when I gave my heart to the Lord. And then my parents would have been second. Um, and then the family then short after. Um, so mm. it was a very quick progression. Let's put it that way. Um, because I was very hungry. I got, I got, I got water baptized. I think maybe a month after I got saved. Just oh, cause wow. I was just like, like I was I when I gave my heart to the Lord, I said, like, I'm all in. Like, this is, if this is true, this is amazing. And I want to, I want all in. But I, I, I want it on the contingent that it's the life that you saying that I get to have, like walking with the Spirit of God, seeing the miracles and stuff like that. It was, mm-hmm. um, there was an expectation from my end that God would be as much all in as I am, right? But then you realize okay. God was way more all in before I was even, even in the picture, right? So, um, very much, um, telling family, telling friends, um, very excited, very bewildered and confused at the same time because I'm wrestling with a whole bunch of stuff. But, um, yeah, definitely had a um, very quick response from family when, when that news got out. Do you finally reconcile 
things for yourself or start to see the type of Christianity that you had hoped to see um, once you make this commitment to God? It's been an ongoing journey for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly um, realizing that the truest depiction of who God is being manifest in Jesus was a massive revelation to me because then it, Mm -hmm. it does ask, require us to ask a lot of questions Mm -hmm. um, about the old Testament, about the portrayal of God in the scriptures before Mm -hmm. Jesus appears. Um, Obviously that's still an ongoing discussion, but, at least Jesus is the final word on this topic. And so if I'm resting my faith there, I'm like, okay, I can be a little bit open-handed with my interpretation with some of this old covenant stuff. And we'll assess that as we go, as new information comes in, as I learn more things. But if God is like Jesus, I can get behind that. Okay. And so okay. even when I could not fully reconcile the scriptures on both sides, and to be honest with you, I probably still couldn't, um, Largely because I, I actually do wonder whether there was a lot of uh, depiction of God through the lens of human understanding rather than actual inspiration, like just explicitly, um, where people were also wrestling with the nature of God and they got things wrong. And that may have then influenced the writings. And then that's why we see these different characters being depicted. But there's a whole bunch of explanations as to why that could be. Um but certainly Jesus being the true nature and representation of God without any kind of um, filter or interpretation required. He was just um, mm-hmm. God on display. And so that was a big one for me because that settled the big issue that I have about like all the barbaric stuff in the old covenant. Because then I see Jesus like, healing the sick, um, raising the dead, forgiving people um, like Barabbas and some of the, like uh, mm-hmm. not Barabbas, but um, the man that was lowered on the... Um, in Peter's house, mm-hmm. just a completely different depiction of what I thought God was like. And um, I could get behind that. So that, that really settled it for my heart. And I was able to like get behind that 100%. Um, and in terms of Christianity, again, Jesus being the, the example that we are to live and not just in terms of the moral stuff, which mm-hmm. is very, um, widely communicated, but the supernatural element is just as important too, because, um, you know, if we are called by God to heal the sick and raise the dead and walk in the spirit and all the other things that Jesus uh, told us to do, it's something that the church has really been behind the eight ball for a long time because we've sort of positioned ourselves as like a bit of moral police. But when it came to actually Mm -hmm. demonstrating the works of the kingdom, we've fallen flat. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we've had this thing for 2000 years and we're still not walking like Jesus did, if we're being perfectly honest with ourselves, we're not even close. And um, that's exactly what God is expecting of us. And then you even look at Jesus and the way that he discipled the disciples. Like he would, um, coming down from the mountain of transfiguration, the, 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 the boy who was ill, depending on which account you read, he had leprosy or was demon-possessed. The disciples failed to heal him. And then Jesus' response to the disciples was, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? Mm-hmm. It's like, he was quite um, expectant that they would begin to walk in this stuff. Um, and so that also helped me reconcile, like, maybe my real issue here was not Christianity, but the way that it had been advertised to me. Mm. Um, and so that was also, that's also been a real journey ongoing as well, because one, I want to be a faithful representation of the kingdom and of the, of the gospel and of Jesus to those who are atheists, those who are not of the faith, in a manner that I think can be squared with what Jesus is saying and what he did. And, and the same token kind of elevate Christians into like not settling for less when Jesus has clearly demonstrated that there is more to mm-hmm. be, be doing and that there is an expectation and a responsibility on the Christian to manifest the kingdom before really any expectation of unbelievers from coming, coming to the mm-hmm. faith. Um, and just making sure that we put the responsibility where it should be, not on mm-hmm. unbelievers believing, but the believers believing to the extent that they can manifest this stuff. So, again, a lot of stuff, um, healing for sure in terms of my understanding mm-hmm. of the faith and um, the two, healing in the sense of um, restoring or not restoring, but replacing the image of God that I had envisioned because of my history. Mm-hmm. So, 
Do you ever find yourself praying for people in the future after this conversion event where you start seeing God do things that only you think God can do? Sure. Um, so obviously we went to the same ministry school. Um, so sure. studied there for three years. We saw all kinds of miracles, but um, I think the ones that really kind of hit me were the ones that I saw amongst my atheistic friends mm -hmm. um, coming into university, leaving university, the guys that I kind of stuck with. Um, so, so we would this catch is up post on the Bethel, So post 2015, I guess. Yes. Yes. Okay. So these were friends of mine that I'd, I'd been, I'd been in their group for a long time. So I had a, like a group mm -hmm. of friends from high school, but they were okay. largely Christian. We're talking like post high school, university, mm -hmm. post-university. Like there's just a group there that I also hung out a lot with. Um, and they were predominantly atheistic, um, okay. very intelligent people. Um, so we would, and they knew you as an atheist at the time I was, um, okay. Sorry, so no. these were your, they, atheist they knew, friends. they knew that I was an atheist and they also knew I became Christian. So okay. that was, that was also a period of time where I actually became Christian. Right. Um, because mm -hmm. some of those friends I actually knew during my high school years when I actually gave myself, uh, to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, like it was, it was an interesting journey with them because, um, I understood all the skepticism. I understood all mm -hmm. the comments about the old Testament, Testament scripture, the contradictions that exist in scripture. I was familiar with quite a lot of it mm -hmm. and kind of the, the butt end of jokes that they would make because, you know, mm -hmm. I was kind of seen as like the, the odd duck that kind of lost the, the faith in atheism, atheism basically. Um, <laughs> right. But it made for interesting conversation. And certainly they were very mm -hmm. amicable about it. They would make jokes, but I was cool with it. It wasn't a big deal. Sure. Um, so we talk about science and philosophy and everything like that. And, mm -hmm. um, and then of course we went to Bethel, um, mm -hmm. for three years. I did. Um, and then coming back home, they also had a ton of questions and a ton more jokes to tell me. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, it was just one of these things where I just kind of like just tolerated it and because I enjoyed their company, I enjoyed their friendship, sure. I enjoyed the conversations that we had. It wasn't a big deal for me to be um, provoked a little bit. Um, and certainly I enjoyed having those kind of conversations anyway. But it would have been about six to eight months coming back. Um, one of my friends had a skiing accident where he um, – came down the mountain, I, I don't know if it was a rock or a, like a like a stick or a log or something, but he tripped mm. over it, did a somersault, landed, and broke his ankle. Mm. It, was, it was, he was a wreck. Um, mm. So he had to get a cast and everything um, in order to mm -hmm. kind of reset the ankle bones and everything. Um, so he was in pain and had crutches. Um, mm -hmm. And so one, one evening we were just talking around the table and the, the, the topic of religion came up again and um, they did what they usually do to tell a few jokes about me being being Christian and, you know, then we mm -hmm. went on to talk about science and stuff like that. And and I, at some point, I forget who it was, but eventually like, I just don't understand why you would believe this stuff, um, Steve. Why would you, like, you, you, you agree with the, the issues that we take with these points that Scripture talks about and yet you still say you're a believer in Christ and says, yes, I am. He says, well, why did you believe then? He says, well, I got healed when I had chronic fatigue and I had no rational explanation for it other than the fact that mm -hmm. I asked God to come up, come to me and heal me. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, isn't that just psychosomatic? It's like, it, I thought that too, but it was like, understand the history here, two and a half years of being sick and unwell chronically and then immediately just flipped on the day that I prayed, and then mm -hmm. from that point on, not having an issue. Like, you have to accept that that's a very unlikely coincidence, if it is coincidence. And it's like, yeah, I guess so. And so my friend, um, his name's Chris, he comes up to me, or he, he approaches me, and he says, hey, dude, do you, do you reckon you could, God could heal my ankle? Because that'd be pretty cool if I could get my ankle healed. I said, sure, let's mm -hmm. go for it. So I, I just do a small little prayer, nothing fancy. And as I'm praying, his ankle clicks. Mm -hmm. And so he feels like something move inside of his ankle in his, um, mm -hmm. in his uh, lower leg and the base of his foot. And immediately the swelling went down and the inflammation seemed to go away. And he was shocked because he felt it and we heard it. Everyone heard it in the room. 
Um, and so there was a bit of a gasp in that moment. And so he's like, I felt something move. That's crazy. And so I asked him to take a step with the foot just to put some pressure on it. So you're like, okay, well, mm-hmm. if it's, if, if it's going to be healing, then there wouldn't be pain and you'd be able to move it around and you, you'd be able to step mm-hmm. on it, right? It's like, yeah. So he, he takes a very timid step because he's like, sure. he was very fresh injury. So he was like mm-hmm. in quite a bit of pain, taking painkillers. Mm-hmm. And he puts pressure on it and he feels nothing. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, that's weird. It was very painful a moment ago. And so he starts putting real serious pressure on it. And that's when he realizes, oh, my goodness, the pain's gone. Mm-hmm. And so I asked him, all right, well, can you move it around? Because you, you broke the ankle. Like, you know, maybe, maybe pressure won't may stimulate pain, but maybe rotating it or trying to rotate it in the cast as much as you could could generate some pain. And so he tried to wiggle it around in the cast. Again, couldn't make mm-hmm. it. He couldn't move it very far because it was all bound up. But Certainly, he was trying to give it as much of a go. Like he was really fighting to find the mm-hmm. pain. And so, again, the room was more or less silent at this point. And so, I did tell him, hey, hey, dude, just because I've seen, you know, sometimes when you pray for someone, they've got like a pain in their shoulder or something, and you'll tell them, like, what's the pain level at? And they might say it's a 3 out of 10 or whatever. And you think, oh, mm-hmm. great, a miracle happened, right? But then later on, it comes back. And so, there is this mm-hmm. part of me that's like aware that, you know, sometimes people get hyped up in the moment have like an adrenal response to being excited that they might sure. be getting healed. And so if they get healed, there should be like this longevity to it. It shouldn't be like there and then not. Sure. So I right. said, okay, I want you to not be st- stupid and like injure yourself. So just keep an eye on it for the next few days. Because if, mm-hmm. you, if it's just an adrenal response, then you don't want you to hurt yourself by walking on a mm-hmm. very broken foot. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. And after the next few days, he's like, dude, I can't get this to hurt anymore. Like, I'm going to go to the doctor and see if he can take the cast off because I don't see any reason for me to be worrying this if there's nothing broken. So he goes to the doctor and they do all the scans of that. And the doctor can't believe it. His bones are reset. <laughs> right. And so this guy is shocked. He's like, mm-hmm. he'd seen the, the, the scans beforehand and his bones were a wreck. So... After that, there were a few coffee catch-ups with me and Chris, just one-on-one, and you know, I started sharing with him. Because at that point, his curiosity levels were at an all-time high. And so I started sharing with him you know, why it was I came to Christ and I under- the understanding that I have all the objections that he has and um, trying to kind of convey to him, like, like, I don't think that the Christianity being advertised is the Christianity of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that's a broad statement because they're going to be varying interpretations and ad- sure, advertisements sure. depending I, I on the saying. denomination. Yeah, but in general, right? And he's like, okay. And it, it would have been over a couple of weeks of you know just having coffees with him, talking about Christ, talking about you know covenant, mm-hmm. talking about God, talking about healing, and. Well, over time, he just kind of, like, the defenses came down. He just became more and more willing to accept things. So I think just the moment when he got here was just kind of like, well, I had these objections, but I can't deny the reality of what just happened here. Mm-hmm. And so something's happened, and I need to find out what. Mm-hmm. Um, so about after two weeks, he asked me to lead him in a prayer to get saved. This was two mm-hmm. weeks after he got healed and after many copies went on one where we mm-hmm. were talking about stuff. Um, and, and for that moment it was it was quite profound for me because i'd actually planned on going back to the united states um Mm -hmm. and the whole visa thing fell through um and Mm -hmm. so there was this big question mark in my heart with the lord going well i had this dream of going back to the united states and doing ministry and that fell over and kind of wondering wondering or felt aimlessly wandering around wondering what what i'm going to be doing here and i think in that moment it just really kind of hit me like I, I think this is why i'm here i'm here to help people who want to hear a better version of the gospel want rather the the gospel that actually manifests the kingdom um and to be a voice to those who um have objections have skepticism and want to hear a more rational view of it without just like blindly accepting scripture as true mm-hmm. Um, and so Chris would be a, a, like the first of many dominoes that would knock over into this cascading event of one after the other. My friends would have some kind of healing. Another one of my friends, he threw his back out immediately, not as, as you know, substantial as someone breaking their ankle mm-hmm. and getting that healed, but 
you know, he was in pain. Like you, you've had one of those moments where you've thrown oh, your yes. back out and Spasm you're like, you can't miserable. move. Yeah. It's just, you want to be bedridden for a couple of days. It just feels awful. So we, we prayed for him and he got healed. Um, mm-hmm. So he went back to completely normal activity immediately. And mm-hmm. one after the other, these people just had these encounters or had these dreams or had these healings and, you know, mm-hmm. many conversations, many arguments later, mm-hmm. most of them are now Christian. And so I now run a group mm-hmm. largely just with my friends. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's a ministry per se, but certainly it's um, a group that I really cherish and spend a lot of time with uh, digging into these things uh, about the faith and, and looking at mm-hmm. science and seeing how they kind of play with each other. And um, we mm-hmm. do a lot of, well, outside of like the lockdowns for COVID, we were doing a lot of evangelism on the streets and praying for people in the street and prophecy and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, man, long story short, it's been a wild ride of uh, going from atheism to full on Christian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it sounds exciting what you're doing. Um, so let's talk to the average Christian, maybe even has a little apologetics background and they're uh-huh. trying to minister to atheists. What would you recommend? So first thing I'd recommend is learn science. Please learn science. Um, like I, I know that most Christians feel like they don't need to because God will just show up and do stuff. And he does do that. I've seen it happen. Mm-hmm. But the follow-up after those moments is vitally important because mm-hmm. I can speaking as somebody who's been on the receiving end of a lot of Christian evangelism that was very unsubstantiated in terms of its rationalization, Mm-hmm. And very, even at times non-existent, um, mm-hmm. reconciliation with science. It's just a, it's such a put off um, because you know the, we are talking about people that too tend towards the intellectual, and so mm-hmm. making an effort to understand the science, understand the objections atheists have with the scriptures, with the scientific claims that Christians make. Um, is going to be radically helpful because it at least puts you in this mindset of understanding why they have the objections that they do. Because mm-hmm. so many Christians will say like, well, they're just, just in unbelief or they're deceived by the enemy. It's like, actually, no. Like, these people are actually intelligent mm-hmm. and we don't do them much. We do them such a disservice by just kind of sweeping them all under the carpet of being demonically deceived or mm-hmm. blinded by the devil. It's like, there are actual real objections mm-hmm. that are that have to be addressed. Yeah. And so that would be the first point that I would raise. Uh, the second one is like, I really am in this position where I do not expect anybody to come to the faith unless they have an experience with God. And I'm convinced that the only testimony sufficient in convincing anybody of God's existence is the one that they personally have with God. Mm-hmm. Um, some people might argue with that. And certainly I do have some friends who have come to the faith by seeing other people get healed. And that's great. But I'm just, as someone, again, who's just, you know, it's one thing to hear if somebody else talk about it or even hear a testimony. But how do you know they're not making the testimony up? How do you know that mm-hmm. it wasn't just like placebo or um, psychosomatic mm-hmm. or whatever? Sure. David Hume. Yeah, right there. Yeah. It's just like if I heard somebody else struggle for two and a half years with chronic fatigue and then instantly got healed, I'd be like, eh, probably didn't happen. Or maybe there was just something mm-hmm. psychom- psychosomatic there. Live through it. It's a very mm-hmm. different story okay. because I, I lived the daily routine of struggling to get out of bed, struggling to go to school, having to leave mm-hmm. school, having to go to the doctors and them not knowing what to do with me. Like, and then just having this prayer moment with the Lord and asking him to come in and heal me and save me and then being completely healed. Like, it's just, there's almost an absurdity to rejecting it. Um, and mm-hmm. so... I say that because one, I, I quoted that scripture from um, John 10, where it talks about Jesus, you know, saying like, if I don't do the works of my father, don't believe me. I do think that there is a, a high calling, a higher standard of evangelism needs to occur. And I'm not just talking about just to evangelists, but to all Christians where we, we actually do have, should have the expectation that we manifest the kingdom of God to people and not just accept them to blindly adhere to scripture or belief systems. Like okay. there has to be something real about it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. let me say this. Um, one thing, are, I've got a lot of people who listen to me who are not pro 
Bethel. And so when they hear sure. the word manifest, they hear the new age version. And we don't mean sure. make healing come from ourselves. We mean pray and ask God and God do that. Uh, but I if you're, well, I also have a lot of apologists who listen to me who are like, I read the science. I talk to people. Talk to those apologists about, well, they're afraid if they go and pray for the sick um, as ministering to atheists, they're just going to look like the stupid Christian who believes in nonsense. Can you maybe speak to those people and encourage them because to meld the supernatural and the Sure, absolutely. So I, I probably should say something hmm. beforehand. And I don't want to sound discouraging because this is probably going to sound discouraging. We already look stupid. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I just got to say that. So if you're afraid of being looking stupid by attempting to pray for the sick and seeing them get healed, too late. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. It's just you're, you're, a, you're enabling fear to control you and to stop you from loving your neighbor. And I admit that there's a learning process to this, right? I, I didn't wake up one day, become a Christian, and know how to heal everybody that I come into contact with. I still don't see everybody I heal, uh, pray for, come into, um, come, come into contact, pray, um, come into contact with, pray for, and then get healed. I don't. Um, mm-hmm. It's like a very small percentage of people, but I am learning it, and the, that percentage is increasing. Um, mm-hmm. But I am pursuing it, and I think that's the critical element here: is that you know, if we're caught, if we're called to be Christ-like, well, walking in the supernatural is part of what Jesus did. And so I don't know how you can reconcile the idea of being Christ-like, but not have the supernatural be part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say that a ministry without that is an incomplete ministry. Um, it's mm-hmm. not the ministry that way that Jesus did it. Um, he said that we would, this, these works he, we would do, he, these works I do, you will do and do greater. Um, and I know that a lot of people try to brush that one away or like rationalize it away, but he had the expectation of the disciples to heal the sick and, you know, calm, not calm the storm, but not be panicking in the midst of the storm and constantly would address this issue of faith with them over and over again. And so I don't think that's changed. I mm-hmm. think the expectation God has on us is that we be ministers of the gospel in power, not just in mm-hmm. word only. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So, I think that would be my first thought there. Um, mm-hmm. Don't be afraid because it's, it's going to ha- we have, we have to learn it at some point, if not now, then later. Um, mm-hmm. So I think for me, at least I've just decided to bite the bullet and just allow myself to be embarrassed. If I get embarrassed, like it's not mm-hmm. like, it's not like my identity or faith is in jeopardy because I've been healed. Like, mm-hmm. I'm good. Right. Um, so yeah, I, that would be the big one. But um, for apologists, I just, I, look, I've listened to the apologists. I listened to them when I was an atheist. I was unimpressed. I was mm. not impressed. Um, a lot of the way that science gets co-opted by, I, okay, and I'll be broadly speaking here because like, I'm sure there'll be different versions of this depending on which apologist you listen to, but was generally speaking apologetics. I find a lot of it to be inadequate in its trying to reconcile what scripture says based on what science knows. Um, so as one broad example, you've got Noah's Ark, right? Mm -hmm. So I think someone did some calculations beforehand that if all the animals on the Ark were on from everywhere in the world, there would not be enough space in the Ark for all the animals, given the number of species that there are. And there are all these other discrepancies that come into like, how did kangaroos and koalas get from Australia to the Ark, wherever it was located, right? And so like, now they come up with these land bridges, basically, or these um, explanations where they're trying to shoehorn science into their belief system, into the interpretation of scripture. And so I'm just, I'm very wary that um, mm-hmm. apologetics is a great thing, and I, I engage with it quite a lot. But there are also this, this is place where it's a bit dangerous, where where some Christians are so determined on their particular view of their Christianity, the scripture and their version of apologetics where science gets completely contorted in the process mm-hmm. where it's um, taking things either out of their context or completely misrepresenting the science altogether. Mm-hmm. And that's a very serious problem. I think, you know, that's why I say earlier, like learn science, learn physics. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't expect everyone to be like a PhD, but be 
at least be conversational, at least understand what you're talking about, at least admit mm. that you don't know something if someone says something mm. to you that is scientifically based. I'm just, mm-hmm. that's probably the biggest encouragement that I could give because I think it's going to solve a lot of problems because mm. to be honest with you, one of the big issues that I took with Christian representation was just how seemingly dishonest it was about reality. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We would, Yeah. Well, I would add to that, um, if you're listening to the, the show, what I would recommend is read all the sides. So if you have a, you know, read the atheist side, read the Christian side. If you're looking at old earth, new earth, or young earth, mm-hmm. read the old earth, read the young earth, read theistic evolution, read old earth creationism and just critically think so that you know what people are saying Mm. and then form your conclusion. And what I see happening so often in Christian apologetics is people have a predetermined conclusion and then they go and find the data to fit. And that's what contorts it rather than I've critically thought, these are my thoughts. And if you're conversation or if you're able to be conversant with the spectrum of beliefs, that's a lot more respectable in people's minds. And it they is. can say, mm-hmm. I get how this person disagrees with me. Um, but mm-hmm. if you want to do evangelism to smart people, which is apologetics, um, what I say is we don't move toward – we reject anti-intellectualism and we j- reject anti-supernaturalism. And mm-hmm. so we need to meld both. I, I think the gospel was birthed out of a highly intellectual church. The early apologists were writing the emperors of Rome, debunking their gods. They were also praying for the sick, the demonized, and, and seeing people set free and healed. And so that's a hard space to be in because it requires our whole self. It requires us to be challenged in ways we don't want to be challenged. It takes time, but I think that's the only way to move forward. Um, what are your thoughts? No, I completely on that? agree. Yeah. yeah, I completely agree. Um, and I think the biggest thing that we as the church need to learn is we need to be okay with mm-hmm. being wrong, because you know one of the key elements of the faith is repentance, which is to change your mind. But you can't do that unless you admit you're wrong. Yet, right. surprisingly, we're very stubborn around our beliefs and are willing mm-hmm. to whether knowingly or unknowingly, because I think sometimes people just don't know the science well enough to know whether they're actually using it correctly or not. Mm -hmm. So there's a part of me that's wondering maybe it's just ignorance and not malevolence, Um, where we interpret the the scriptures in a particular way, we make the science fit our interpretation, Mm -hmm. and we never allow any voices outside of that to even, like, poke holes at it. We, we're not even willing to be wrong. And yet our faith is contingent on us being willing to be wrong so that we can correct it unto truth, at least regarding the faith. But I would argue mm-hmm. more broadly, um, apologetics, the intellectual, every every aspect of life, we have to be willing to be wrong because if we're not, we won't let go of error in order to grab hold of the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just think that the, the, the church could really use with um, mm-hmm. a, a bit of humble pie and just go, all right, do we need to reassess any of our belief systems? Have I misrepresented some of the science that's been promoted? Um, how would I know that? Who are the right people to talk to to see if I've got that? Because maybe I've got a blind spot and I need to have a second or third opinion uh, to see whether or not I'm getting the science correct or I'm interpreting this in a particular way correctly. Because there might be an alternative interpretation of that scripture that doesn't violate science or doesn't have an issue. So, there's a, it's an ongoing dialogue, but one that requires us to be ready to be wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, I also think a lot of people in the atheistic community don't know about the Christians who are doing good science. Um, there's mm-hmm. professors um, in Christian universities who, you know, I've got a science and religion degree. And so I was able to go through that process of wrestling through all sides um, and like find the best examples of Christians who are critically thinking about stuff. Don't go to granny at the church and go, I've, I've talked to a Christian about science. Um, there's people out there who wrestle with this. Uh, 
Christianity birthed science. Francis Bacon was a Christian. Father of Scientific Method, Galileo, uh, Newton. All of these are believers, and we helped start the best universities in the States. Princeton, Harvard, Yale, Oxford came out of Christianity. And so the Christian faith does not have to be anti-intellectual. A lot of people take it there. Um, and mm -hmm. I think that you're asking good questions, um, and they're worthy of research. And I think that the person who lives the lifestyle of Jesus, they're transformed, they're dying to their sin, they're bearing the fruit, um, they're partnering with the Holy Spirit, and they're trying to wrestle with the truth is very compelling as a witness. Um, mm. and so, yeah, I, 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 that's where we want to push people uh, with this podcast is to embrace the Jesus came to transform our totality and mm -hmm. we need to Absolutely. let him touch every part of our lives. Worshiping God with mm -hmm. all of our mind is loving God. So, mm -hmm. yeah. 100%, man. All right. Well, are there any concluding thoughts that you have that you would like to share or anything that popped into your mind that you're like, I wish Elijah had asked me about this? Look, there probably are a few thoughts running through my head. I think the big one is I love what you're doing with SendProof. Mm -hmm. Um because one of the things that I think in these recent years, having seen so many miracles, but really regretting not having captured evidence for it, mm -hmm. is that, like I said, I believe that the only testimony worthy of someone's like faith into God is their own testimony of their own encounter with God. Because I just think at some point, there'll be enough of like a plausible deniability where they can just go, ah, something else is the cause of that. Mm -hmm. But if it's them who's walked through it and them who's encountered God, it's hard for them to argue with that because mm -hmm. they're the ones who've had that encounter. Um, is that we, we need to, I think, also be a little bit more diligent with our recording of testimonies and um, mm -hmm. the evidence therein. Because, you know, sometimes even in the, we get excited with the supernatural, we get excited when we see people get healed, but, you know, perhaps in our zealous cavalier nature, we advertise these testimonies and then we're like, well, where's your proof? And it's like, uh, don't have any. Mm -hmm. Um, and I understand that there's not always going to be the case where you can have it because some of them are hard to test for, or maybe you weren't in a position to get the before and after states completely. You only have the after state maybe. Um, and so I, it's something that I've definitely been dialoguing with the Lord with and have been trying to do better with because I do think that there is like a, uh, an integrity or an, uh, um, mm -hmm. an honesty that needs to come from that so that we're not just telling tall tales that we're actually, mm -hmm. you got some evidence to back up this claim that, you know, whether they believe the miracle happened or not, they cannot argue that this person's leg is now healed or this person's, mm -hmm. you know, whatever has been restored. Like they cannot at least mm -hmm. argue with that or that it's not been looked at by a doctor. Um, mm -hmm. So just upping the up in the ante there, I think would be a really good thing to see the body of Christ move in. And I, I suppose the other thing too is like, and this is going to be an ongoing thing in the church is just like moving away from, or rather really confronting cessationism because if it wasn't for the miracle of God, I wouldn't be saved. Mm -hmm. um, and I know not all cessationists believe that there are no signs of miracles when that happen, but sometimes God can sovereignly come in and do stuff. But you know, I, I would challenge that and say, hey, like mm -hmm. Jesus took issue with his disciples when they failed to do so. And mm -hmm. he told them to do likewise. And the disciples taught their disciples to do the same thing. And if you read the Antonicene Fathers, the um, the collection of um, early church writings from people who were disciples of the apostles when they were first named apostles and then mm -hmm. going all the way down, they also advocated for this and taught this to the to their disciples. And so this is not like a, once off it's over thing it was a mm -hmm. perpetuating thing in the early church and so would really encourage people who are of that of that view to kind of ask the lord is that really correct because i do think that if we're really going to see the kind of revival and the manifestation of the kingdom that god is wanting to see happen through the church by his spirit it's going to require um a full representation of christ likeness including the supernatural so mm -hmm. yeah those would be my, my concluding thoughts. And my concluding thoughts are this. Um, read, guys. Um, 
go through all the sides, uh, especially on o- old Earth, young Earth evolution, um, and and create a safe environment for people to critically think through the stuff in your church. Mm-hmm. We build unity around the essentials, the Trinity, the resurrection of Christ, the origins of the earth is a tertiary issue it it should not divide brothers it should be a point where we are free to critically think and um you know one church may really take you know a, a version and go this is what we feel called to teach and that's great, but we're we're still brothers at the end of the day. Um, Absolutely. And there's yeah. lots of good literature out there, people. Um, you know, if you're wrestling with, uh, God, is God a barbarian? Is God a moral monster? Paul Copan is a great book. Um, but before you even get to that, um, try The Case for the Resurrection by Gary Habermas is a great place to start. I, I think if you're wrestling with Christianity, you need to be processing is uh, is Jesus even alive and ask God to touch you in a way that you know both of our testimonies are that God did something in our lives that only God could do and yeah. God loves those types of prayers and so like God open yourself up to God um, he who seeks finds and so start seeking God um, come to a just neutral place if, if you're there I want to know um, and see what happens. So thank you so much for being on the show.